Hi, and welcome to Fassifern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. So last week, last week we started on Psalm 133. And while it's very poetic, because it is a song, we dug a little bit deeper and we found some very powerful truths in there. Um, from verse 1, we noted how David wrote this song after being an eyewitness to the power and the blessing that flows from unity. Because you know that Psalm 133, it's all about unity. I'll read it for you. Psalm 133, three verses. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Unfortunately, we didn't record it because the camera, the phone failed last week, but there will be, hey Jenny, there will be an audio of it available on Facebook very shortly. Um, And I think it's important that we bring ourselves up to speed because I think as the song, as the psalm presents itself, it's so poetic, um, we fail to see the depth and the power of what he's actually sharing with us right here. So last week we noted that David wrote the song after being an eyewitness to the power and the blessings that flows from unity. And he's not wasn't just talking about a nice time at the coffee shop, you know, and a cup of tea or a cake. He, he's talking about some of the most devastating times in his life. The battles and, the, and all the problems that pursued uh, before he was anointed king of a united Israel. And also when his son Absalom betrayed him and brought division to the nation. And so it was only after that that the experts suggest it's that when he's actually wrote the song, when he saw the recovery and the blessings that flowed once it was resolved. Um, we saw not only how unity reflects the Father's heart, but how it is also his strategy and his objective. And using the pictures that the Hebrew language paints for us, we saw how it literally meant us binding ourselves to the cause and not just literally tying ourselves to it, binding ourselves to the cause, but tying and buying ourselves to the others who are tied and bound to the cause, right? So we started to see the depth and the power of this. So unity is a commitment to bind ourselves to that purpose, to his purpose, to our purpose. No matter the risk or the associated price, we may have to pay. Because we begin to comprehend that it's way too important not to. And now we bring in kingdom. The importance and the significance of kingdom. You know, we love church and we're committed to church and church is our lives. But the deal is churches and all churches part of something bigger and that bigger is kingdom stuff. And it's only through unity that we can start to be victory and the blessings and power of kingdom start to materialize in this place. And so today we move to verse 2 and 3. Okay, so let me read it to you. And I'm starting with unity. Unity is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I need to stress, even though we won't get to that last line, I need to stress it right now. This is what it's all about, eternal life. Not just in us now, but in our community, where those people who are lost will see the light and come home. It's about the blessing of God and anointing that comes to bring eternal life to the door of every home in our community where, yes, everybody has the freedom of choice to choose whether they accept it or reject it, but at least the presentation, at least the invitation has been made clear and obvious. Until we get that unity, 
that invitation is blurred because of disunity, distrust. It fuels the spiritual forces that are active in our area and blinds and deafens people to the truth. But unity breaks that power and the presentation becomes clearer and the choice becomes clearer. Okay. So the precious oil upon the head. In the day and the place that this was written, a visitor would come to your home and you know this, you would wash his feet, uh, probably just rinse his feet, rinse the dust off his feet. You would wash his feet with water and you would anoint his head with oil. Now these acts were, were a welcome to everybody in your home. And, and they, what they did was they refreshed and revived the people that would come into your house. So it was both the refreshing and, and a relaxing at the same time. You would be relaxed and you would be refreshed. And so uh, one of the side benefits of having the oil poured on your head was that it would fill the room with a wonderful fragrance. And people would enjoy the atmosphere. Remember, we're talking about unity here. We use words like relax, relaxing, refreshing. And now we're talking about people enjoying the environment because of the fragrance of that oil. Right? Already, there's a little bit of a picture about the power, the blessings of unity, right? But here we go. Let's go a little bit further. Um, David is saying, probably more accurate to say, well, David is singing, because it's a song, about unity can be both relaxing and refreshing. And, and that's the surface level. And because it's presented in such a poetic way, we, we don't delve a little deeper and see the power. We see the nice, oh, the, oh that should be on a card somewhere. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, that's nice. Why don't we go and have scones and a cup of tea and enjoy something of that unity? But that's what, not what this is about, right? Because we've already said from the first verse last week that it's about literally binding yourself to the cause and everybody else who's connected to that cause and being willing to pay a price. Okay, before, I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, so we'll just keep moving on. Um, so there's obviously more to this because it isn't just a welcome he likens to unity, right? It, the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, which speaks of the amount, the quantity. But then he says, the beard of Aaron, which puts a whole new level on this understanding. Obviously, when he's talking, I just need to say, I don't want to tell you, he's obviously referring not just about Aaron's beard, but Aaron's head. He's talking about the oil that's poured out on Aaron's head. The oil that's poured out. And of course, Aaron's a high priest. And for Aaron... The being anointed with oil isn't so much as a welcome, as in a being consecrated, as it is being set apart for the purposes of God. We get in this? If it was just if he just left it out, it's like the anointing on the head, we could say, yeah, yeah, that's that's the welcome. But he had to talk about Aaron. And as soon as he talked about Aaron, it goes to consecration. It goes to being set apart. For the purposes of God. Set apart to serve. So Aaron was set apart to serve God. And he was so under Moses' leadership, right? Moses at that, in that time was the leader of Israel. Taking them out of the slavery and bondage out of Egypt to the promised land. Moses is charged by leading these people into the promised land. He himself never made it. 
but he got them right there to the border, okay? So Aaron was the priest under Moses' leadership, and, and that's sort of important, especially what's really important in that sentence is under. So Aaron is responsible for ensuring that all the appointed sacrifices, all the requirements that God had given them, were carried out exactly. That was Aaron's role. Part of that was his ability to teach. He had to be able to teach and explain why. And then also he had to be able to instruct, he had to be able to lead. So here's the deal. Part of Aaron's responsibility now is, is ensuring that the sacrifices, the appointed sacrifices are carried out exactly because every part of it had meaning and purpose. No one except Aaron, could fulfill some of these. But Aaron's got that responsibility now. He's, he's got to teach, he's got to instruct, uh, but probably the most important responsibility that Aaron had was the annual Day of Atonement, where he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrificed lamb, oh, sorry, let me take it back. He would sprinkle the blood of a sacrificed animal on the mercy seat which would cover the sins of all of Israel for the whole year. Okay? I'm saying that because when David says it's like the oil poured out on Aaron's head, he's not just talking about a nice event. How significant is that that Aaron's number one job was that annual sprinkling of blood by, of a sacrificed animal on a on, a, on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant so that the sins of the nation would be dealt with for that year, would be covered for that year. Can I keep reminding you, this is all related to unity, by the way. This is David saying, this is what unity looks like. This is what unity is all about. Right? Let, let's go a little bit further. You'll remember that one of his tasks also was to lay hands on a goat. There was two goats and he would lay hands on a goat and he would pray and have the sins of Israel transferred to the goats. One would be sacrificed but the other would be taken into the wilderness and released. Incredible symbols that when Israel saw this, they knew they were now in a position where the sin was removed for, paid for, and they could enjoy the blessings of God. Let's, let's paint that picture into our understanding of this nice Psalm 133 which talks about unity and the blessings. Let's put that in, where people would understand and start to believe and, and celebrate and be confident in the atoning blood. Um. Remember, we're looking at the power and the blessings of unity. And, and this, this flows down. Sometimes it works up, but here, here we go. It's got the kingdom. We've got the church. We've got our marriages. We've got our families. We've got our workplaces. We've got our community. These principles, these truths are applicable in every single one of those. You want to see power and blessings in any kind of relationship? There's got to be unity there. See, that's why the enemy is working to divide. He doesn't want unity. He wants to scatter. He wants to bring division. So we're looking for the power and the blessings of unity on our marriages, on our families, on our community. We're looking on it for our churches and our marriage. Uh, sorry, our churches and the kingdom's sake. So we got the precious oil upon the head. But here's the deal. It's on the head, it's running down. It's come upon his head, but it's come down to his head. Notice it's coming from the one who is above. 
We've got to see this, where the anointing's flowing. And I know it's obvious and you've been in church and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to see this. I'm going to Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul has bound himself. He's got an incredible freedom and he's at the revelation of grace and what this freedom really means. But he has bound himself to the cause. He is now a prisoner of the cause. Right? Again, the picture of unity. He's bound himself to the cause. Therefore, the pri- I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I, I want to tell you, and I won't get distracted, but I want to tell you, that's the walk of the mature. Some people think that maturity means how much you know and how well you can argue. But that's immaturity. If you have to prove or you have to argue, you have to try and win a fight, then that's immaturity. This is the walk of the mature. Let me say it again. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, being completely humble, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's the walk of maturity. You want to know how mature you are as a Christian? Got nothing to do how long you've been in church. Got nothing to do how long you've been going to church. It's got nothing to do with the date you first said the sinner's prayer. It's got nothing to do with any of those things. It's how you walk. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all who is above all. And through all and in you all. I I want to get the emphasis of he's above all because this thing flows down. And I'm not talking about, you know, north-south. I'm not talking about from the top of a cliff to the bottom. I'm talking about a structure of authority. And the one who has the greatest, highest authority is the one who is above all, and that's our Father in heaven. But the point is it flows down. And again, you're going to see, because, you know, most Christians, most churches love Psalm 133, but they cannot get their hand around this thing flowing down. You'll see that in a minute. See, David noticed that the anointing came from the one who is above. You see, it's obvious. It's obvious. Yeah, yeah, let me, let me go a bit further. And when it was poured out from above, it didn't immediately fall to the ground. It didn't flow everywhere. It flowed one place to the head of Aaron the first high priest. One place. God who is above all poured out an anointing and it flowed to one place. Aaron's head. Not everybody else's head. Nobody else's head. You're not making sense yet. I need to stress, I need you to see, when God poured out an anointing, it went on one head. So it flowed down. Psalm 133, verse 2. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Let's ask why. Why Aaron? Why did David... Look back, and when he was trying to express this revelation, the power and the blessing he'd seen in unity, why did he look back to Aaron? He'd had, I don't know exactly, maybe 400, 500 years of high priests. Some of them did a really good job. Why did he look back to Aaron? 
Was it because Aaron, and I'm being, I'm being a bit facetious and I'm setting you up a bit, and I'll, but I'll give you a little warning. Um, the questions I'm going to ask is, is the way a lot of people think, especially about authority, especially in Australia, especially in Australian churches. We've been to some cultures where, as Australians, it's really embarrassing and we become very reluctant to take or wear the honour they want to put on you. It's true, Jay. Anybody been ministering overseas will know that's true. They honour you. They honour you so much. And we being Australians, we, we don't like that. We don't like titles. We don't like, you know, any... And the British, the British don't like compliments. So when you've got British background, it's even worse. Don't like compliments. We make a joke out of it and belittle ourselves. But as Australians, we don't like, anyway, titles. We don't. But we struggle with authority. Um, So when I start to ask some silly questions, these are questions that, asked today by Christians about authorities over them. Okay. Um, Why Aaron? Is he better than anyone else? Definitely not. You know Aaron was Moses' brother, right? But he had a sister too called Miriam. Uh, And he was stuck in between them. He was the second one in the family. But if you start to read a little bit about Aaron's life, he was easily led by both, who often contradicted each other. But he went where the pressure was the most. It's even seen when he was influenced by the people he's supposed to be leading. So was he better than... No, he was not better than any. In fact, he, he probably failed more than most. Why Aaron? Well, well, you know, he might have been soft, but was it because he's so holy? Was Aaron holy? Aaron's the one, when Moses was up the hill talking to God, and the rest of people were down on the plains, standing to worry because Moses is not coming back. I don't know, they think that God killed him, and they're in trouble, so they need to go. But, but the people talked Aaron into making a golden calf that they worshipped. Which when Moses came down, he ground into dust, mixed with water and made him drink it. By the way, that wasn't God. That was Moses' anger. But can we say then that Aaron is the most holy? Absolutely not. And the truth is, I could go on asking silly questions, questions that I've heard asked by Christians about their leadership all day. And I could prove categorically each time and show you something about Aaron that proves he's not the best, he's not the holiest, he's not the smartest, he's not the strongest, the list goes on. Which is what we do with leadership. We look, I've got to tell you the truth. Here we go, it's part of testimony. When we were new Christians and when we were even new ministers, um, because of, well, not Jane, I'm talking about myself because, you know, Jane's Jane. And uh, it's not fair to compare myself with her because I always come out looking bad. So I compare myself with each other and I still come out looking bad. Uh, I'll compare myself to myself. But here's the deal. Because of my insecurity, right, I used to look up to all the pastors. And even, it was a year... Uh, where I was told, you don't have to call me pastor, you're a pastor, don't call me pastor, right? And so I used to look up to these guys because I thought they've all got it together and I'm just like, I know nothing, I'm not, even, I'm not really a nice man even. just. <clears throat> but because of my insecurity, I had no trouble looking for their leadership, submitting to their leadership, agreeing with everything they wanted to do, getting involved, yeah, yeah, whatever you say. But then as I grew, as I became a little bit more experienced, a little bit more mature, I started to realise that some of my leaders 
weren't the people I thought they were. And guess what? They made mistakes. They said dumb things. They did silly things. <clears throat> but I had to come to a place where I had to acknowledge. And here's the key. And here's the answer about Aaron. I had to separate the personality of that person from the office of that person, from the calling of that purpose, from the anointing of that person. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Sure. No sense of humour, terrible sense of humour. Um, took the understanding of grace too far, didn't understand grace. I had to separate who they were and focus on whose they were. Making sense? Why Aaron? Because God called him. God chose him, God anointed him, God consecrated him. God put him in his structure, another word we don't like, structure. And his position in the structure gave him authority. And you're going, this is so obvious or this is so boring. Can we get to lunch quickly, please? But this is important because this is where we struggle as the Australian Christians. <clears throat> we find it difficult to separate that. The personality, the who they are, from the whose they are. <clears throat> so why did God choose Aaron? I don't know. All I need to know is that God chose him. God put him in an office. <clears throat> I have to come under that. David's talking about unity, the power and blessings of unity. You've got to recognize the office and come under that. You've got to tie yourself to that. <clears throat> we could ask why, Aaron. And I have asked why me. You could ask why you. And it's because God consecrated. Because God separated. And with that consecration comes authority and influence. It's not his own. It's delegated. <clears throat> Remember the centurion who got the miracle from Jesus? Went to Jesus, asked for his help. And he said, uh, I'll come. And, and, G and he went, Lord, I understand how authority works. I also am a man under authority. You say the word, that's enough. Under. The only authority that that centurion had was because he was under the next level of authority. If he would have stepped out of that next level of authority... Did his own thing? How long would have he lasted? He wouldn't have even made the games. He wouldn't even become a gladiator. He would have been dead way before that. We've got to understand, and maybe we need teaching on this shortly, but we've got to finish Psalm 133 first. Um, so, it wasn't anything to do with Aaron, but the one who was above him. Uh, it wasn't who he is, it's whose he is. And there's no other reason. Often we make it about personality, but really it's about office. Here's the, here's the truth that goes with that. We often exclude people because we don't understand that. I'm not... We, I've got to be careful, we're on going live. But, but the truth is, we've had people leave this church because they didn't want to come under authority. And, and that's like a formal way of saying it, but the truth is, is they expect me to do what he says? What they say? What she says? Go somewhere else. Because we don't understand. You've got to separate the personality and the office and acknowledge the office. Um, we exclude others because we don't rate them. We, we, 
I could do a better job than him. What kind of a decision is that? He can't even read properly. He can't even speak properly. There's, there's no dynamism in his presentations. It's pretty dry and boring monotone. And what do you do with an accent like that? <clears throat> you, you hear what I'm saying? Uh, but we let that govern us more than, but is he called? Is she called? Is she anointed? Is, is God placed them in that office? That's the, that's the thing. We're talking about unity and the power of blessings in unity. And we want to see the blessings that flow in a kingdom, for our community, in our church, for our families, in our marriages, for our families, in our community. You hear what I'm saying? If we, no wonder we don't see it because we can't get our heads around this. Here's something even worse. We often excuse ourselves because we don't think we're good enough or deserve it in any way at all. God calls us. Remember, God calls us. God called Aaron. Look what he did. God called Judas. Look what he did. God calls us. But then we look at ourselves and we say, no way, I'm excluding myself. <clears throat> Anybody here identify with that? I'm not good enough. I'm not slim enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. It's got nothing to do with that. It's has God called you. That's what it's all about. Has God called? Because he will give you the power to do it. So we exclude others, but then we go in and we exclude ourselves. See, there's this other extreme where we've got these people who, who are, and even leaders who are doubting themselves. But then we go to the other extreme, we've got people who think I'm the best, it's all about me, it don't work if I'm not in control of it. I'm the smartest, I'm the best. <clears throat> Yet, you know what? God will humble them. You remember Saul? Saul was a terrible king. He was only made king because he looked like one, right? Because he was the handsome man, he was tall. It actually says head and shoulders above everybody else. He stood out in the crowd. He looked like a king. He was actually quite dumb and insecure. Um, when he was supposed to be anointed, he was out trying to find donkeys. And he knew he was... Oh, my goodness. That's never happened before. The TARDIS is landing. No, um, wait a minute. So, um, where we? So, so Saul's a terrible king. Right? And he's making really bad decisions. And everybody, from him, his son, and the rest of the nation, knew without a shadow of a doubt that the king should be David. Right? Everybody knew it. <clears throat> now, David had opportunity twice to take a shortcut and to kill Saul. And I don't think there would have been any problem. There might have been a couple of Saul supporters, but they would have been dealt with really quick. And he would have took the throne, the rightful throne, the throne he's known from a boy that he would, have, would sit on, the throne that everybody in the nation thought he should be sitting on. He could have killed him, and that was the counsel he got from those closest to him. But what did David say? Come on, what did, what's that famous line David said? I will not touch the Lord's anointing. Why? Because he separated the personality of Saul and all his faults and mistakes from the office that he stood in. It wasn't that he thought Saul was great, give him a second. No, no. He said, no, he is the Lord's anointed. I will not touch him. Oh, if we had that in our nation. Wait a minute. If we had that in our church. Churches. Not this church. This is wonderful. Nobody would be like that here. But anyway, um, see, God has structures and he uses structures. 
you know, it talks about Aaron's beard. Now, we could get legalistic and say all the men in leadership have to grow a beard. But that would be rubbish. That would be stupid. I think it mentions the beard to help bring focus on what's happening. The oil was poured on his head and it actually flowed to his beard. It's going down his face onto his beard. Right? It, it talks about the amount, and we can talk about that later. The abundance, how much oil, you know, a, a, a dab of oil on the head's one thing, but you pour it on so much that it actually flows down your beard. That's another thing, isn't it? But here's the thing about that. You've got an abundance of oil flowing down on the beard. What was just below his beard? He, he as high priest, would wear a, a plate on his chest. And there was 12 precious stones. And each of those stones represented one of the tribes of Israel. Agree? Come on, come on, you theologians. It's true, isn't it? The ephod on his chest, 12 precious stones. Where was it positioned? On his chest? Where's his chest? Just below his beard. The oil is poured out in abundance, so much so that it doesn't just, you know, make his hair nice and shiny and easy to comb, right? Or just smudge on your head that we use for praying. But so much that it actually started to gather and flow on his beard. Now what's just below the beard? Ephod. When it gathers on his beard, where's it dripping? Where's it flowing down to? Where's it running from? Over the symbols of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the anointing was poured on the head and it was meant to flow down. It flowed down from he who was above onto Aaron's head. He who filled the office of high priest. It flowed down there and then flowed symbolically over the 12 tribes of Israel. We're talking about unity. And we're not talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. We're talking about our churches, the kingdom of God in this place. We're talking about our marriages and our families. It's supposed to be... Which is a whole new subject when we come to talk about the responsibilities of those who are heads. There's another word we don't like, responsibility. I never sign up for this. Forget it. Read the small print. Okay. Um... So it's flowing down. The anointing poured on the head, it's flowed down the beard, and at the very least it's dripping on the chest plate, but I think it was doing more than just drip. You got that much oil flowing through your hair, it's coming down, it's flowing down. Um, Let me begin to start to close. Oh, what a relief. Small print, begin <laughs> to start to. Now, let me, let me close with this thought. L let me put the picture together very quickly and, and see what happens from there. Um, we've been given a choice, right? It's obvious. They present the truth. Let's talk about the basic, the obvious one, salvation. They present the truth. And I'm going to quote Jesus. Jesus going back when he was teaching and preaching the truth. He would tell people the truth. And then he would give them an invitation. And they had the right to choose or to walk away, reject. And if they walked away and reject, he never chased them. That's your choice. Okay. Uh, I think the onus on us is on us. If, if, if you're starting to see the power and the blessings, if you're starting to realize the absolute necessity for this a unity that will bring the kingdom in power, in signs and wonders to this community where people will be challenged and confronted with the truth, where, where God will be so thick in this house that it's be undeniable and they have to make a choice. Yes, I want to accept this wonderful gift of salvation Oh no, you know, I don't believe, I'm just going to reject. But the, the choice will be so clear cut. That's what we're talking about. So the onus is on us, Christians. 
The onus is on us to find our place under the anointing so it can continue to flow down. I was hoping to do verse 3 because I've got something else for next week, but I'll do verse 3 next week. But here's the picture. It's about the Jew on Mount Hermon and how it brought everything alive down the mountain to the footings of the mountain, the base of the mountain. Here's what I think is important about that picture. There is some question in the Hebrew interpretation of how far the oil went down the beard, and, and the correct translation is the colours of his garments, which could be here, here, or it could be the hem. Some theologians reckon it's literally the colour. But if you put it with the pitch of the mountain, when the anointing's flowing, and everything's in its place and comes under it, and it flows, continues to flow over and through, I believe that Aaron would have been stood in oil and the oil would have affected the ground that he was stood in. So here's the anointing flowing down affecting our community because we're stood in the community. Here's the thing, the onus is on us to find our place. But unfortunately because of a lack of wisdom, a lack of understanding, poor leadership... And a mixture of the Australian attitude. We don't want to get our place under anyone. And so we'll just go do our thing. And then we'll try to gather people around us by using this verse to be involved in our thing. And this is what I usually ask. I'm letting out a little bit of secret here, but here we go. This is... When people talk to us about being involved in different things or doing different things, we said, and, and who do you come under? Oh, no, no, we're not under, under. This is our initiative. The Holy Spirit led us and went, okay, thank you for that. We'll consider it. And we do. Because I know sometimes when leadership, when the anointed um, aren't under the influence of God being led by God, aren't under his instruction, aren't, under, aren't committed to his purpose, his will, his ways, the deal is sometimes God has to move them and rise other people up. Right? I know that to be true. But God does that. God does that. If we leave it to the people to decide that, it's called rebellion. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Strangely quiet. They're more quiet than usual. Wait a minute. What? And so we've got lots of people walking around who want us to be involved with what they're doing, but it hasn't come from the top and they're not under something. Am I painting a picture here? Are you getting the point? If you, there's got to be unity. And unity means being committed to something and coming under something. That's the first question we usually... So who are you under? The, the, what it means is who are you accountable to? Who's got your back? There's been different events that the church has been invited to and we ask, okay, um, who's responsible? Who's got the, uh, what's it called, the child protection policies going? Who who's, does that? It's the insurance got it. It's, and, and, and I know sometimes we balk at that because... But when it's about safety and duty of care and wanting the best for our people and part of being a pastor is protecting as well as encouraging and directing and, and, and bringing the forces together to go and get something accomplished. Part of it is protection. The shepherd protects the sheep. So we ask those questions. Who are you coming under? And, and unfortunately, oh, here we go. Yes, I will say it. I'm just having an argument in my head. This, the history of our district is one of Bible belts, of great churches, of big, strong churches, of moves of God, of revivals. It, 
right through our history. But then every church grew and then because of internal divisions imploded because people didn't want to come under anymore. Am I right? Ask the people who've been around a while. Ask them. Am I right? I'm absolutely right. Even in recent years. And so all, most of the churches aren't as strong as they should be, which is another way for saying they're weak. Most of the churches are dying, literally. A closing shot. And we've got all these people. Christians who love the Lord. People who used to serve in churches who are out doing their own thing. And I understand because it's poor leadership, bad decisions, dumb things said, but also rebellion. And therefore, a lot of distrust, a lot of suspicion. Here's the thing of, you know, we talk about churches not coming together and, and sure, sometimes it's, it's insecure leadership a little uh, because of things that have happened in the past. But you know who was behind what happened in the past? Who, f- who fueled that fire? Congregation members. Critical, judgmental, suspicious. Half-truth experts. So there is no trust, no unity. And we've got all these people talking about unity but not prepared to come under so that the anointing can flow down. David said, see this unity and the blessings and power? It's the anointing that flows down. The onus is on us to position ourselves so the flow will continue. We're working hard, incredibly hard, to bring unity, to position ourselves under so that oil can flow. And and our churches and our marriages and our families and our community can enjoy the blessings and the power that come with unity. But the onus is on each and every one of us And can I ask you, and I don't want you to speak it out loud, but who are you really coming under? Let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this wonderful picture. And I thank you that when we scrape the surface off, we see some things we never noticed before. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this age what you're doing in this time. As, as, as the end draws near, you're bringing in your, by your spirit a spirit that will lead to rich fellowship and great unity. Help us to really comprehend and, and see clearly so that we will be willing to pay the price and, and, and we will search out our place and come under so that the oil not only will reach us but will flow over us and further down and I'm thinking generationally I'm thinking families oh God I'm thinking community right now oh that the anointing you've poured out an anointing you haven't held back you've poured it out help us Holy Spirit to be so mature to humble ourselves and find our place and position us under the flow of the anointing. We pray that you will help us to be discerning. Discern the difference between different personality types, different ways of speaking and doing things, ways of thinking, from office, help us to separate the two clearly so we can submit to office.
to your authority, your delegated authority and influence. Oh Lord, we cry this. Primarily we cry this because our community is lost. There's a darkness in our community. And we, the church, know that we're partly responsible because of the lack of trust, the suspicion, the insecurity, the fear between the churches. Even though we like the appearance of unity and talk about it, there's still that great suspicion. Oh, Lord. Lord, we need revival. We need the light in our community to disperse the darkness. We need prison walls to come down and change to break. We need most of all people's eyes to be anointed so they can see clearly. They can see into the light as the dark disperses, oh God. Their ears would be opened and they'd be able to hear the truth. At the very least so they can make a clear decision, oh God. Make a choice. Thank you that we're starting to realize that it starts with us. So we do ask for your forgiveness. But now I ask that your spirit will bring confirmation. I ask that your spirit will take what's been planted today and help people work through it. To decide whether they think this is right or wrong. To decide whether they will accept or reject. To decide whether they'll position themselves or stand out on their own. Oh Lord, I thank you that every in, your every intent is for only good and your desire is to bless. You love this community, the people of this community, the families of this, you love so much. You want to gather them to yourselves, but you've given them a choice. We pray that they'll be able to see clearly, hear clearly, to make a good choice. Start with us, Lord, I pray. Now I pray for your blessing, your protection. I pray for your provision, your favor on us and our loved ones. Those here, those who couldn't make it here but are part of this church, those who are watching on a screen, your blessings, your richest blessings, and above that, I pray that we all will grow in the knowledge of our God. And his church said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.